If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you the rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast, and everything you need is all in one place, and here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup's like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify, with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish a video podcast to Spotify. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The hallowed ground of the Paraville Battlefield. Hey, before we begin our podcast, have a couple of updates. We're now on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, so please make sure to friend us or follow us on our social media platforms so you can stay up to date with our podcast. Also, we're sharing historical pictures and documents from Harold's personal collection on our social media pages. Some are very rare, and you will not see these anywhere else, so make sure you friend us. Also, if you have any questions about our podcast, follow the link at the bottom of our page notes. Uh, it will take you to our Anchor FM homepage where you can leave us a voice message. So if you have a question about our podcast or maybe you'd like for us to include uh, a certain topic in an upcoming episode, please let us know and we'll try to use it in the future. And as always, please leave a five-star review and share a podcast with your friends. This will help others find us so we can grow. Thank you. Now to the podcast. Welcome to Uncommon History of the South podcast where we uncover low-known facts of uncommon history. History is full of curious characters and interesting stories you'll never discover in any textbook. We uncover fun facts of historical events, interesting places, famous people, and everything in between. Hello and welcome to Uncommon History of the South podcast, where we uncover low-known facts of uncommon history. I'm Brian. And I'm Harold. Welcome, everybody, to our newest episode. Harold, today I stopped by Melton's Deli. Uh, there's two locations, but I usually go to the one there by Southland Church on the bypass in Paraville Road and found out they are big fans of the podcast. Wow. What about that? So I wanted to uh, just kind of give a shout-out to those folks. And then also, if you're in this area, stop by one of the two locations and get something to eat. It's a great food. Uh, Harold, you've got a new project going on you've started. What, what is it? Oh, gee. <laughs> I'm building a Model A Speedster. <laughs> now, this is your second one? Yeah. Okay. What yeah. What made you decide to get into building a Model A? Is well, this... I found out Model A's go faster than Model T's, so I kind of, <laughs> they're a little bit easier to work on. So uh, it's kind of a uh, – it's hey, uh, people like me that are interested in history, I think we're nostalgia-minded, you know, and it's a Model – A's have a lot of uh, racing history, and I'm not a, I'm really not a car guy, believe it or not. I mean, I never did this before, uh, but the history of it is as much interesting to me as the car itself. So 
Um, my wife and I are going to plan on hopefully in the spring, <laughs> if everything goes well. <laughs> that's a big if. Too. So, so you mentioned nostalgia. So, is this, is this a car that maybe you dated in when you were younger? Oh no, no, okay. no! It goes way before me. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, I'm not that old. But they have groups around, and Louisville has a speedster club, and Cincinnati has one, and they take tours, you know, and and they do covered bridge tours and things like that. And I think that's a neat thing for a couple to do, and uh, it's something that. Uh, I got interested in about four or five years ago, and so we're trying to make it work, so we'll see. But well, it's a I, I can't curve. wait to sit and yeah. take a ride in it. Yeah. So do you want to introduce our guest tonight? Yes. Uh, I am really proud to have – and you know, Brian, this is our first female guest. It is. I, I just thought just of that today. To me. And uh, so we're, we're way overdue. Uh, we, I want to introduce to you Joni House. Joni is the former uh, park manager at Perryville Battlefield State Park. She is currently the president of the Friends Group at uh, Perryville. And, uh, Joni, welcome to Uncommon History of the South. Welcome. Hey, guys. How are you? We are great. And it's so good to have you on here. Did you know we're, you're the first lady that we've had on our podcast? Really? Yes. Well, you have the honor of, of being the first female Uncommon History of the South podcaster. Fantastic. You know, it's always been funny to me when I walk in to give a speech or talk to somebody about Kentucky history, the Battle of Perryville, I always get all these funny looks. It's like, oh, you're the historian? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> so, so women enjoy history as, as well as men. Well, sure they do, fellas. I mean, I, I think it's very cool, Harold, you telling your car story. I have to say that, as you know, we just bought a 1946 Willys Jeep. Yes. Uh, so, you know, we've been tooling around in that the last, well, any day that it's been pretty. Uh, so I, too, am a, uh, a big geek for nostalgia, and we've had a big time in that Willie's Jeep. So we'll, we'll join you out on the road, maybe. I'm telling you, it's, it's, a, it's a blast, and you'll have a lot of fun with that. Uh, it's a, they're, they're not easy to work on, are they? I will say one thing for my husband. He is a master carpenter. God love him. And he is now becoming a master mechanic. So, you know, uh, he spent a lot of time on YouTube the last couple months, but he's doing a great job of it. And he's, he's managed to do most of it himself. So I have to give a shout out to Chad. He's done really, really well with that. So, so far, so good. I tell and, you, uh, YouTubers, uh, people that don't know this, uh, YouTube is one of the greatest inventions to me. Um, I would, I, I don't know what I'd been on these cars without YouTube because I can go on there and, and play those things and, uh, work on it and stop it and start it and go through the processes with the guy on there. And, uh, it makes it a whole lot easier. Well, I could, I could tell you if it wasn't for YouTube, this podcast wouldn't <laughs> exist. So yeah. Oh, it, it's been invaluable. And I have to say too, We've been really, really lucky in that we've been able to tap into some old guys that know about those machines, you know. Uh, it's it's really neat to talk with them about what they know because there's always little quirks and, you know, shortcuts, and they'll start to go, ha, 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 well, let me tell you how to do it, and you know something good is coming after that. So sure. so we've been really lucky, and, and um, thankfully, because both of us are not very good mechanics, but we've gotten a lot better. Yes. Well, the time you get done, you'll be an expert, I'm sure. Uh, no, uh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, out of necessity, if nothing else. Uh, Joni, tell us a little bit about your background. Have you always been interested in history? Have you always pursued that as a career? Well, you know, my father was a history teacher at Jessamine County High School, and I spent a lot of my youth uh, learning about the Civil War. And, you know, popular or unpopular, my middle name is Lee, 
and I am named after General Robert E. Lee because my father um, always thought that he was probably the greatest tactical general that the United States ever produced. I have to kind of agree with him on that. And uh, so he named me Lee. So I guess I was kind of born into the Civil War. And as I grew up, you know, I heard family stories. I had a lot of family members on the House side that were in the Civil War. Two of the brothers uh, fought with the Union Infantry Regiment, and one of the brothers fought with the South in John Hunt Morgan's Cavalry. So I kind of grew up, and I was lucky enough to know my great-grandfather, who actually knew these guys. You know, he was a young man when they were still living. So he passed those stories down to me, and that always spiked my attention when I was young. And then, of course, I grew up with a history teacher. And, you know, we went to Disneyland and stuff, but we always went to the historic sites and battlefields, and it just fascinated me as a young person you know about the history of the country and the more the more and more I learned about it learned about the family history learned that you know the house family had been in Virginia since the early 1700s and that so so many of them had fought in the wars and then on my mom's side you know she had ancestors that also fought in the confederate army and some of them were pretty big characters so learning about that you know it just always fascinated me and then And then one time when I was a young person, I came to a reenactment at the Perryville Battlefield and that did it. You know, that just fascinated me beyond about the Civil War. Um, And then I got more and more into it and became a reenactor as a young person and and was in college at the time and and had a history degree. So it just kind of really felt natural to to follow that history degree through college. And then. You know, I started work for the Commonwealth of Kentucky. I was a tour guide at the state capitol, believe it or not, when I was a, a young babe of 19 years old. And that's how long ago I started with state government. So, um, you know, I learned a lot about Kentucky history. And as I got older and worked my way up through state government, I, I became one of the caretakers of the Kentucky state capitol in the governor's mansion. And at that time, um, I was working in Frankfurt and had the opportunity to go to the University of Kentucky and get my master's degree in historic preservation, which I finished um, with an emphasis on battlefield preservation. And lo and behold, uh, during Ernie Fletcher's administration, the opportunity popped its head up for me to come to Perryville Battlefield. Um, And Kurt, the the director of the park at the time, was happy to have me and I was happy to go. I kind of wanted to get out of Frankfurt my my dad and mom lived over in Mercer County, and I wanted to get a little closer to them. Um, so I moved over here and started work and eventually became the preservation coordinator for the state park. And then a few years after that, after Kurt, who I, I can't say enough about Kurt Holman, the, the, uh, my predecessor out there, Kurt probably knows more about the Battle of Perryville than any human being on the planet. Um, you know, and he taught me so much. And when he retired, I had the opportunity to take the park manager job, which I did take and really, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, and then I decided to retire um, last year. And I have to say that retirement has not been at all what I was hoping to do. I know what I had a trip to California yeah, planned. Yeah, we had plans no. too, but it didn't work out, did it? I was going to Virginia to help Civil War Trust do some stuff. No. And the worst, we were all going to go, my dad, my husband, and um, myself, we were all going, we would actually probably be in Wyoming right now. They were going to go elk hunting, and I was just going to tramp around the Yellowstone. Uh, And so, yeah, this year has not been the greatest year to retire. (laughs) It sure has. Joni, um, as you're um, 
Raina as park manager there at Perryville Battlefield State Park. What are some of your favorite, do you have a favorite story or do you have a uh, something you'd like to tell us about your experience there as a park manager, what that's like? You know, it is probably was the most enjoyable job that a person could do. I mean, you're surrounded by history. I know that every day it was exciting to me to go to work because you just never know what's going to walk in the door um, at, at Perryville. And I, I always tell people you have to be open to possibilities. And I guess, you know, one of my favorite stories, and besides the reenactment stories, which I could spend all night telling you reenactment stories because, holy cow, we, we had a lot of them, uh, especially the big nationals. But there was a fellow that pulled up in the parking lot and Kurt and I were literally outside looking at a tractor because, you know, there's a lot to being a park manager. It's not just playing with history. There's a thousand acres of ground out there too, that we have to take care of. So we had some kind of issue going on with one of the John Deere's and both he and I were out there looking at it. Um, and this fellow pulls up and he gets out and said that he was a descendant of a Colonel Kilgore and that he had something in the trunk of his car that we would probably want to have a look at. And so, of course, you know, we perked up and trotted right over it. And lo and behold, he opens up uh, the trunk and out pops Colonel Kilgore's sword um, and his epaulets and everything that he had on at the Battle of Perryville, you know, as far as uniform accoutrements. And standing there talking to that man, I mean, Kilgore and I, I may get this wrong, I hope not, I believe he was in the Illinois regiment, and he was breveted major on that field. He was a captain uh, who attained the, the rank of major. He hadn't gotten his, his epaulet yet or his shoulder boards, but he was literally shot through the stomach, and one of his compatriots took a silk handkerchief and ran that completely through the bullet wound. Uh, I guess to clean out the bullet wound. <laughs> which I can't imagine. And he actually ended up in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And the man probably would have died had it not been for his sister uh, who came and got him and took him home out of the hospital there at Louisville and convalesced him at home in Illinois. And just to see and hold those artifacts, just I can't tell you how how much that connects you to history. Mm -hmm. And you just you never know what somebody's going to pop out of the trunk of their car. Right. You know, right. That was one of those reminds wow me, Reminds me of a story, uh, Joni, that uh, when Park, uh, when uh, Kurt was park manager, uh, Dr. Burley Clay came and we did a dig. He was studying something I can't remember. And we, we were doing a, a supervised dig there. Uh, and of course, same time you do that, you kind of draw crowds. You know, we had a, oh, a, yeah. a roped off area. And of course, people curious about what you're doing and sure. you know, what you're trying to learn and so forth. And so, I had uh, done some metal screening, metal detecting, and I had gotten a signal of a bullet. And I noticed this little boy that was standing there. You know, some some young people have a pass, have no interest. Some have passive interest, and some are just eat up with it. Well, that little boy. Yeah, I'm thinking he, I was probably the eat up. Yeah, one. me too. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that little boy, he boy, I mean, he just watched every move that we was making. And so when I got that signal on that bullet, I said, "I'm getting ready to dig a bullet," and I said. I can't give it to you because it's not mine to give, but I said, I can let you hold it. And I said, you'll be the first person to hold that bullet since that soldier dropped it in October the 8th, 1862. Oh, yeah. So we dug this bullet up, you know, and I handed it to him. And he, man, he just, 
you could just see the expression on his face of just wonderment, you know. And, and he looked up at his dad and he said, this really happened, didn't it? And, th- and then <laughs> yeah. it became real. And, right. Uh, so I'm, I know you have a lot of those stories, but for a lot of people, until they hold history or actually see something, they don't really realize it's just a, not just a story in a book or, or an old wives' tale or, or legend, you know. It really becomes oh, real when you hold it. You know, we would, um, you've probably been out there when we did that program during the reenactment where we brought the public through and we put them through the daily life of a soldier, you know, yes. basic, just oh, basic yes. stuff, drilling. And, and the really neat thing that we did and, and really brought that person home to them is at the very beginning when they started the program, we would hand them a sealed envelope and would tell them that is the name of the soldier that you're representing here today. And it would be both Union and Confederate and the various names from various units um, in all different levels of rank. And they were they carried that. We told them, don't open it, you know, carry it in your pocket and let's get you through this program. And they went through different things. They got to go through uh, mail call and ration and pay call. They got to do some drill, uh, just, you know, something a soldier would experience on a, on a normal day. Because you know as well as I do, Harold, that the most unusual thing for a civil war soldier to do was to be in a civil war battle they spent so much time uh around camp and it and went, it went just, from boredom to extreme terror and not much oh, in absolutely. between yeah and you know yeah. i don't think people i think people really thought that civil war soldiers just marched and fought every day and we're trying to express to these folks no that that didn't happen every day it, it was a pretty mundane life and then, of course, we would talk with them about the Battle of Perryville and, and tell them you know, about this horrific battle that occurred. And then at the end, we would ask them to open up those envelopes and it would have, you know, what the soldier did in life. Did he live? Did he die? Did he go on to die at another battle? You know, did he become a famous person, et cetera, et cetera. And I can't tell you how many grown people I saw literally tear up when their soldier died you know, or, or had some great exhilaration on their face to know that that soldier lived and went on to have five kids and moved to Texas, you know, and when you make it that personal, then you, you're really kind of able to take this big concept of this horrible battle and just break it down to this 19 year old kid that was scared to death, really far away from home, you know, and he's not that far removed from you at that point. And so I really, it always fascinated me to watch the range of emotions that people went through when they realized, yeah, this did happen. And dang, this guy was really here. And, you know, he's just not that different from me. So it's, that's why studying history is so important for us to get perspective. You know, we, oh, we, yeah. we need to measure, uh, you know, ourselves in this and say, Hey, you know, when I think about it, these individuals that I've researched and you have, and we've turned up these stories and you, you think of yourself, you know, they had dreams and aspirations to live a full life and have a family and on and on and on. And they laid it all on the line right there. And some of them never got that opportunity. They, they gave their full measure, last full measure there that day. And, uh, yeah. we just don't, we don't think enough about them and appreciate sometimes the sacrifice for this great democracy that we live in, what the trials that we've had to go through to get here, you know? True. And, you know, on an individual basis, too, you know, we can you can study the battle as much as you want and try to understand the broad concepts of it. But it's always fascinated me to to reach into the mind of that individual. And we see so many of the letters 
you know, those letters at the battlefield, they have a massive collection of individual letters who write about the battle. And, and you know, the things these, these guys are writing about their kids. You know, they're talking yes. about, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my underwear's bad. Mom, can you send me a new pair of underwear? You know, <laughs> I had a teenage son, and I can I can see to myself thinking, and, and Jake played Bull County football. I remember sending him off to football camp, you know, and him hollering, oh, I need some new, you know, new, some new socks, Mom. And So I can identify with that, you know. This is just a kid, and he just needed some socks, and he's writing his mom. And then the very next day, he's gone. You know, and it's just it's it's tragic in a way, but it, it's very human um, for you to think of them that way. In the Ken Burns series, uh, I thought was really an interesting uh, perspective. It talked about the soldiers uh, looking for their mail, you know, looking for the letters from home. Oh, and yeah. said they'd write like eight letters to home and maybe get two or three from home. You know, oh yeah, and because of course mail delivery system not good, and they were all over the country and so forth. A lot of mail probably got lost or captured or whatever. But it said that oh. you know it's just the extreme sorrow on their faces when they would look for that mail and it wasn't there. You know, they didn't get a letter, and they were so. I mean, some of them it brought them to tears. You know, when they didn't hear from home, and we forget about all those things as part of the experiences of uh, of war and the Civil War. You know. We just don't think enough about that. Well, you know, communication to us is so instantaneous now. Mm -hmm. I don't know. uh, With COVID going on, I'm so grateful that it is instantaneous to us. Uh, I don't know how well I would have been able to deal with not being able to communicate with everybody and and, and having that kind of isolation that's going on now. So I, I don't. I don't know that we can ever appreciate that in its fullest. Um, but I, I, one of the best series of letters I ever heard, this one of the guys, and I can't remember what regiment he was in now, but apparently his wife had spent $2 on a new dress. And it had bent him out of shape so badly. <laughs> there, was, there was a series of letters that went back and forth. And basically, they're like, dear, how could you have spent this money on this new dress? And she's trying to justify it. I mean, there was five or six of these letters that went back and forth, and it went all over him that she had bought this new dress. <laughs> so, you know, you got these guys in this god-awful situation, and this guy's really miffed off about his wife buying a dress. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, you just had this huge Civil War battle, and God knows where you're going to march to, and you're still griping about this dress. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's just really a human experience to read those letters. I, I yeah. love it. <laughs> well, Janie, I mean, uh, Joni, let's move on to the friends group uh, okay tell us a little bit about the friends group people know nothing about it tell them as okay. much as you can well, about 10 minutes about what uh, what the friends group is and what you guys okay. are doing well i will tell you first of all that chad green is the president of the friends group i would get in such trouble if i did not say that you know chad chad is my husband so i guess i'm the power behind the throne so to speak right. but what what i do now is i really help uh run the administrative end of the friends and fundraise for them and i also serve as their preservation and uh natural or na- nature consultant for for their projects there at the park but the Friends of Perryville is a 501c3 nonprofit, uh, legally registered with the Secretary of State of Kentucky as being an educational foundation that supports the efforts of the battlefield. And basically, their mission is to help support um, any preservation, conservation, and education efforts for both the State Park and the American Battlefield Trust and 
anything that's considered the Battle of Perryville. You know, the one thing that really tickles me, people think the Battle of Perryville is just the state park. This was a massive Civil War battle, and it encompassed so much property. It's not, you know, when you talk about the Battle of Perryville, it includes the town of Perryville, all the surrounding communities. It's a massive undertaking. But the Friends are really dedicated in helping with those conservation, preservation, and education efforts out there. Uh, So, gosh, we do everything from riding a tractor, running a weed eater, uh, helping put in museum exhibits. You name it, we've got split rail fence. Y'all have done a tremendous oh job God. of split rail fence and miles of split rail and, fence. And Joni tearing down all these structures that the uh, Battlefield Trust has bought. Um, oh yeah, and and cleaning that up so that it can be uh, turned over to the state. Um, my goodness, what work that is! You well, all, I would go ahead. I don't have an exact count, but as it it comes to mind, I think we have at this point taken down. Five houses and seven barns, if I'm not mistaken. Well, first of all, our listeners need to know that when you all take down a house, first thing you do is try to recycle as much material as you can. Try to oh, yeah. try to uh, sell as much of that. It, it, by the way, these are not historic properties, obviously. Oh, these no. are oh, no, These are much later not. period houses yes. that don't really fit in the 1862 time frame. Correct. But, but uh, you know, you all, you all raise money by uh, and make money uh, – by recycling materials and doing the best you can to uh, make everything out of what you got, you know? Well, right. I mean, it's, it is an extremely expensive proposition to clean up some of these properties. I mean, the removal of a house is, is extremely expensive. And, you know, we have tried to work and give away stuff and the amount of effort that goes into getting those houses down is tremendous. Uh, I will have to shout out to Danny Preston. He is uh, one of the local volunteers here. And Mr. Preston owns uh, R&P Industries, which they work on heavy chimneys. He is semi-retired and he loves to come and set on equipment. And that man has spent hundreds of hours working on things on the, on the battlefield. I mean, he's incredible. Without him, there's no possible way we could do anything that we've done, but we literally, first we have to look at the house and assess it. And number one, make sure that it is of no historic relevance or that there's no part of it that has any historic relevance. Uh, And that's kind of been my forte to go in and look at those properties and make sure that we're not going to disturb anything archeologically. And so much of those properties have been dug out and we've had to backfill. And so we literally start by taking the roofs off and then try to give away windows, sell whatever we can, deck material, anything that we can to get money to put back into the gasoline uh, and equipment that go into removing those things. Uh, It is a long process because all of, well, the majority of the work that we do is all volunteers. So we'll have volunteer crews out there working. I think you've been around to some of the Civil War Trust days where we really, Mm -hmm. we really turn out. One night was 100 people showed up. Sure, and doubt. they yeah, it's amazing. I was absolutely blown away. Well, if somebody wanted to volunteer, how would they go about volunteering? Well, you know, this year it's been ex- exceedingly difficult to do that. Um, but hopefully, when things get better, there'll be numerous days that we call for volunteers. And the very best and easiest way to do that is to uh, pay attention to the uh, Friends of Parable Facebook page. 
and also our website. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't say join the Friends of Perryville. It's, it's quite inexpensive. It's 20 bucks a year. Of course, if you want to give more, we'll happily take more. Uh, but basically, 20 bucks will get you into the newsletter uh, it, and it helps us keep you informed. And we'll put out a call you know, several times a year to come and do volunteer days. Now, if you want to just volunteer out at the park, the Kentucky Department of Parks has a volunteer program, um, and they have different assorted things you can do. You can volunteer in the museum. There's all kinds of different ways to volunteer. Um, so I would encourage you to, anyone that's listening, to certainly get involved with the Friends of Perryville, at least pay attention to the Facebook page. And if you're local and you want to do regular volunteering, definitely volunteer at the state park when they can accept volunteers again, saying that right now, you know, COVID has been just, it's played havoc on everything. So there's not a lot of those volunteer opportunities. But now with the Civil War Trust um, Day that we have in the spring, and hopefully we will have that, there'll be several projects that you can just come and volunteer at. Uh, and those projects range from cleaning up stone fences, to removing trees out of historic view sheds, uh, to working on properties that we need to take down. So there's all kinds of ways to volunteer. Mm -hmm. uh, Joni, let's move on a little bit to a little bit of history. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. And, okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, of course, you've lived on that park. You've been there uh, several years. You've studied uh, so much. Of the, do you have some maybe a favorite story that you'd like to tell? Uh, I've got one <laughs> I'll tell after you do, but... Uh, okay. You got a favorite story or aspect of the battle or something that you'd like to to uh, tell our listeners? You know, I think that my my the favorite thing that I really like to talk about is how vast that battle was and how many people were there and just how it encompassed everything in the community. Um and and kind of still does encompass everything in the community. But one of the interesting things, you know, you've been around here when we've had those great giant national reenactments. Yes. And, you know, people often come up to me and say, oh, my God, how many men were here? And, you know, we had there were about 20,000 um, Union soldiers actually engaged and about 16,000 Confederate soldiers actually engaged. There were about another 30,000 Union soldiers that were engaged or that were not engaged. They were, you know, held in reserve. And that's probably second and first corps, as you well know. Or second and third corps. I don't want to misspeak. I'll get I'll get in trouble by my history friends. But you know, I will tell people at those big reenactments, I say, now do you see all these people standing here? And that'll be five thousand reenactors and twenty thousand spectators. And I'm like, you know, guys, that is one core of the Union Army. There were three core of the Union Army in the area and the and sixteen thousand Confederates. And they just look at me dumbfounded. They cannot grasp the number of people that would have been confined in that area. And so I think I, I really enjoy talking about the vastness of that battle and how big and how it just absolutely altered everything in that countryside for years afterwards. Uh, and I don't think people think about that quite often. I mean, we could sit here and talk about the tactics of the battle. Um, you know, as well as I do, it's always been one of those fun things when someone says, who won the battle of Parable? Well, that's a big question, isn't it? The South, the Confederates actually won um, the military victory there on the field. But as you well know, the Union won the tactical battle because they were left in possession of that field and literally Kentucky. So those are 
all the nuances that you can talk with with people about that that they don't necessarily understand. And then when you start talking to them about the scale of it, um, Perryville was not clearly won by either side. And the scale of the amount of people that were there always just, I think, dumbfounds people. They, they don't have a real good grasp of how big that thing was. Well, Joni, why is it so important that we preserve the battlefield, not just Perryville Battlefield, but other battlefields? Why is it important? Oh, my. That's a big question, isn't it? Uh, you know, I truly feel that that our nation is the best nation in the world. We are, without a doubt, the greatest nation in the world. Um, and our our experiment of democracy has not been an easy road. And if we do not look at all the bumps in that road and have a clear understanding of how we are, who we are and how we got to be where we are now, I don't have a, a good feeling for the future. And places like Perryville, and not just Perryville, but Shiloh and Gettysburg, those are the bumps in the road that we had to overcome as a nation to get to be and maintain our greatness. And without that preservation and the ability to teach that history to our, our future generations, I think we do a disservice. You know, um, I could go on and on about the importance of maintaining the ground and and it's just to me, we need to understand those bumps and how bad they were. And maybe we won't repeat them. You know, that's, that's the best I've ever heard it said. So yeah. well, said. well said. Why is it, why, well, thank you. why should people come and visit Perryville Battlefield? Oh, holy cow. Because it's the best Civil War battlefield <laughs> in the country. Well, I will say this to you guys. Um, and I'm not I'm not blowing Perryville's horn. It is the truth. Perryville is without a doubt one of the best preserved battlefields in the United States. A Civil War soldier could time travel back and land up on Parsons Ridge and he would say, you know, I know this place. This is Perryville or the Union soldiers would call it Chaplin Hills. This is Chaplin Hills. They would know the place. And if you really want to experience a Civil War battlefield as it appeared during that time, you can't get any better than Perryville Battlefield. You just can't get any better. And, you know, the Friends of Perryville about five years ago put in 700 acres of native habitat out there. So not only do you have the battle history of Kentucky's bloodiest day, you also have 700 acres of native habitat that hosts uh thousands of monarch butterflies in September. We have a, a nesting mating pair of bald eagles now on the park. Uh, the northern short-eared owls, which come from Canada to overwinter at the park now, should be showing up at any time. So you've got it all. I mean, it's a win-win. You have history and nature in one of the most pristinely beautiful places in the world to just come and experience. And it's it's yours, Kentucky, so do that. Uh, Joni, the, the great author and historian Shelby Foote once said that you must understand the Civil War to understand American history. He said you you cannot understand America unless you understand Civil War because it defined us. It made us who we are. And so um, I, I thought that was a very wise statement that he made because it did define us and it continues to define us. So we, we, must, uh, we must learn from it. I want to add a little short story in here. Um, 
when Kurt was park manager, uh, I had done some work for the Military History Museum in Frankfurt. And while I was over there, I saw this cannon tube laying in the floor. And I was like, what, uh, it's, it had a sign on it from Perryville or something. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember asking the, the uh, superintendent over there, I said, what, what's that doing here? And he said, well, it's part of our collection. said it was picked up after the battle and brought to the arsenal here in Frankfurt, and it's never been out of here. You know, it's been there the whole time. Of course, it weighs about six, 800 pounds, so it's not that easy to move around. So, <laughs> so anyway, I got to thinking about it, and anyway, it was, uh, make a long story short, it was, it was uh, we think, left on Parsons Ridge by Turner's Mississippi Battery. Mm-hmm. And uh, what had happened is it's uh, Turner's uh, Mississippi Artillery had, and, and make, uh, part of the Tennessee troops had attacked Parsons Ridge up there and taken a battery from the Union, Charlie Parsons' battery, which was a young, they were young, green outfit. It was their first battle. And they sure. panicked. And anyway, in this exchange, one of their carriages uh, were disabled. So what they did was the Mississippi troops dumped this old, it's probably a Mexican War era, six-pound iron tube. They just dumped it off on the ground and took one of the other tubes off one of the other disabled cannons and switched them, which back then, four or five guys could do that in five minutes, ten minutes. Oh, yeah. And so they left this tube there, and it laid there. And uh, like I said, so back in the 1980s, I believe it was, uh, when this happened, I asked them if I could bring it back to Perryville. And so I had the great honor of bringing that cannon back and taking it up on Parsons Ridge for the first time since – October of 1862. And I tell you, that was a neat experience. That was a real neat experience. Now they've made arrangements and that tube is in the park now. So when you come to the museum, you'll get to see that tube and get to know that that's the kind of the background of the story about that. Uh, You know, that, that, uh, that tube, you're exactly right. Weighs about 600 pounds and that thing. Holy moly, moving those, any I of those. That, listen, I, me and another guy picked that thing up on a carpet dolly and put it in the back of a pickup truck and brought it to Jeez. Perryville October 8th commemoration weekend for display Shoot. in the museum mm-hmm. and took it back. <laughs> <laughs> I could not do that again. That was, no. Boy, I remember, listen, that thing's heavy. You know, when you're oh, handling Lord, it by yeah. hand, it was heavy. Uh, Johnny, do you have any other interesting stories you'd like to share with us about the park and what year did the park become an official park? When was it made? Do you oh, boy. It was in the 1960s. Okay. I, I you know, I can't 62, remember right off the top of I know the museum, because uh, I was a little boy, real young. Mm-hmm. 1962 is when they had the grand opening. Or excuse me. Right. 1960, the 100th year. They wanted to get the museum done for the public for the 100th anniversary. And right. they did. And there was a big deal. You know, I think the governor was there and everybody. Uh but I don't know when the park actually became a park. Uh, we'll have to go back and look that up, Brian. I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure that it. You know that Henry Bottoms Cemetery, which you know Squire Bottoms owned. He was the farmer that owned the majority of the property upon which that battle was actually conducted. Um, and where he buried there are there are two mass graves of Confederate soldiers out of Maney's brigade, which would have been a lot of Tennessee and uh, Georgia boys. The Squire Bottoms actually made two pit graves 
and buried those guys there and then sometime later enclosed it in a stone wall and I think that was the very first part of what we now think of as Perryville as a park and I know that stone wall was there gosh it was in the late 1800s um and certainly i think there was some maintenance going on by the the commonwealth in the early 1920s uh there's some really early pictures uh that look to be 1920 1930 so you know i don't know that it was an official state park at that time but certainly it was being maintained and recognized as as you know hallowed ground at that at that as early as that so um, and now, you know, we we went from 19 acres, Harold, when it first opened to now the preserved area out, out there is about 1,300 acres by the time you look at the conservation easements around on some of the private property. Um, and the state park itself uh, is approaching nearly 1,000 acres of that. So the the tremendous success of the preservation effort at Perryville, it's, it's by far one of the best in the country, no doubt. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Uh, Joni? Uh... Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? We're getting running uh, low on time. Is there something else that you can think of that you wanted to mention before we say sayonara? Well, I would just like to really challenge all the people in the Commonwealth of Kentucky to come and visit uh, the battlefield there. You know, with with COVID going on, we, we're we not being able to do a lot and get out of the house. Put on your hiking shoes and come and see this place. There are stone walls that run the perimeter of Doctors Creek. There's wildlife everywhere. You can bring your kids, bring your dog on a leash because we don't want them, you know, running off after a deer, uh, which might happen. Uh, and come and experience, you know, Kentucky history. I don't think there's any place in the Commonwealth of Kentucky where history speaks to you more clearly than Perryville Battlefield. And, you know, there's one aspect to that nature that I, that I never thought about. Well, I was out there one night, and I think they were giving ghost tours or something. And one, right. of, the, one of the people said, you know, it gets really dark here. And I I thought about that, and I'm like, you know, most people live in an urban environment, not all of us, but most of us do, and it's never really dark at your house, like dark, dark. There's always a light somewhere. But you go to Perryville, and it's dark out there. (laughs) You can see the stars and the moon and the satellites, and they're all all kind of neat stuff. Well, you know, Chad and I, we live, our farm is right behind the park, and, you know, the park is really creeping up on us. And we were sitting at the Dixville Crossroads the other night, and I looked at Chad and I said, dang, there's no lights out here anymore. And he said, yeah, isn't that great? Yes. <laughs> so, yes. so, so, yeah, and, and really in the summertime, if you if you want to do star watching, my gosh, it's it's incredible out there. So, you know, I really encourage everybody just come on out and have a look. Sure. Joni, would you like to tell our listeners one more time again about uh, your all's Facebook page and the uh, the web page so they can they can follow along with the friends of Parable? Oh, so it's super easy uh, on Facebook and Twitter and on the web. It's Friends of Parable Battlefield. Uh, and all, all of those three accesses will get you all the information you need. Uh, we put a lot of stuff on Facebook uh, pretty regularly. Uh, the website has all the information about joining and anything that you need to know about that. I will say that we did sell all the honey, Harold. We got all for honey sold. Oh, so we're, we're really tickled about that. Um, you know, we had a project out there. We had all this habitat, so we put in bees. I was a pretty novice beekeeper, but now I know a lot more about it. Uh, and the girls had a bumper crop of honey this year. So uh, all that was on the website. So be looking for that next year. We'll have more battlefield honey. 
and just just google friends of perryville we're super easy to find well thank you to Joni house uh, for being our guest tonight and thank you to our listeners for being part of uncommon history of the south uh, before we go if you listen on apple podcast help support our podcast by leaving a five-star review and a comment this will make it easier for others that's uh, that loves history find our, our podcast also make sure you join our facebook instagram twitter and youtube pages if you're not already joined and harold maybe we need to start taking some pictures of your build and let's put that on <laughs> yeah. our, our social media yeah so no, no. <laughs> oh goodness <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we'll try to get some pictures of harold's project car uh, right. on our social media so everybody can i might follow. take some of what i would like for it to look like <laughs> all, let's right. Do all right well so thank you Johnny. for being a part Thank and you so much. We, we really appreciate you. You did a great job, and, and we always enjoy uh, talking to you. And we'll, Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And thank you. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of uh, Uncommon History of the South.